This is a GRDC podcast. G'day, I'm Megan Woodward. A drier, warmer climate is challenging and changing the way grain growers across Australia approach planting. The risk of poor or failed establishment because of unpredictable summer rain and sowing breaks is increasing too. But there is a new genetic approach thanks to CSIRO research that's proving to be successful. Led by plant geneticist Dr Greg Rebetsky, wheat lines that produce a long thirst shoot or a coleoptile, allowing for deeper sowing into soil with residual moisture, are gaining some serious momentum. I caught up with Dr Rebetsky to talk about the research that's got growers and the GRDC alike excited about the future potential of the long coleoptile wheats. We began by discussing what the science is telling us about future growing conditions. Yeah, the science is very clear around increasing CO2 and the impact increasing CO2 has on small but very regular increments in air temperature. And with those increases in air temperature, we're seeing changes in global models around ocean water and temperatures there. And these are having impacts on our climate. So we're seeing a perfect storm, to speak, of increasing variability, which will make farming more challenging because we won't have the clear signals that we had in terms of farming practices in the first 100 years of agriculture in Australia. We're going to be managing more variable climates It's heartening to know that Australian growers are among the best in the world in managing climate variability. And so I think providing growers with the prediction tools around models, climate models, but also crop models, but also the genetics and the amazing agronomic and management systems growers have now, but also into the future, I think will be in a good place to ensure production in future climates. Absolutely. And I guess this is where your expertise comes to the fore of 30 years in this sector. What opportunities do these challenges actually present to us when it comes to the early sowing of of longer season varieties? It's a good question. Just firstly, I'm one of many in Australia that really is focused on both current and future climates. There's a, a whole range of really smart people who I work with in agronomy, in climate modelling, in breeding and genetics, including commercial and public companies. And I think we're all beginning to understand the importance of just working together to try and really pinpoint where the weaknesses in the system are and understand where the opportunities might be going forward. So. I guess I represent more the genetics and the breeding side of things. And my training and my skill set is understanding where there might be new opportunities and new genetics in improving performance. And I guess the coleoptile story is one that's come about from the improved ability to improve water productivity with early sowing, but also regular sowing through the season. And what we are seeing in our climate models is increasing summer rainfall and increasingly variable and often delayed sowing breaks. So this is the the moisture that growers need in order to germinate and grow seedlings to commence the building up of biomass and yield. So we know that there is often moisture at depth, but because of the constraint of the short coleoptiles of current commercial wheats, we need to think about ways in which getting that seed into that deep moisture, that moisture that often sits at around 
10 to 12 centimetres. And the coleoptile is the shoot that effectively allows the seed to germinate and grow to the surface and emerge to continue growth. So in early sowing, where we'll see drier soils, but also hotter soils, having the capacity to sow deep into that deep moisture and also avoid those high soil temperatures at the soil surface should allow for more reliable production and allow for growers to focus a bit more on sowing on calendar date rather than risk dry sowing or risk delayed germination with variable changes in in that sowing break. Right. So essentially a longer coleoptile ensures that there's timely emergence and there's some assured crop establishment there. Talk me through the work the CSIRO has undertaken around the, the genetic research on coleoptile length in wheat. Yes, Megan, it's, it's been a long journey. Originally, the first identification or first concerns around the short coleoptiles of wheat were in the early 60s or late 50s, early 60s in the US and Australia, where the Green Revolution dwarfing genes, which were so pivotal to improving production globally, averting global food hunger. These new Green Revolution dwarfing genes were quite unique in that they reduced the height of wheats so that growers could provide more fertiliser and that would reduce the risk of crops lodging while increasing grain yield. But these dwarfing genes, these new dwarfing genes, which, which originally came out of Japan, out of World War II, these dwarfing genes had quite interesting characteristics in that they reduced plant height by making the cells smaller, smaller in the stems, which reduced the height and allowed growers to provide greater inputs without the crops falling over. These smaller cells in the stems were also smaller in the coleoptiles and the seedlings. So we had this change from tall wheats, which fell over when conditions were good, but were still able to be sown deep and also had good early vigour, they were more competitive with weeds. So Syro 30 years ago came upon the thinking that, well, if we could identify other dwarfing genes that didn't have quite the same problem with establishment by allowing for a longer coleoptile while maintaining reduced height, then we could perhaps use these to replace the Green Revolution dwarfing genes. So we've been on a search globally in gene banks all over the world and within Australia to understand what other dwarfing gene diversity was out there. And we've been introducing these dwarfing genes from far-flung places like Italy, Eastern Europe, Russia, Argentina, the US, and assessing these genes to understand their science and their physiology, and then understanding their genetic behaviour so that we could use these to develop new semi-dwarf wheat varieties that had the long coleoptile trait. And it's been a long journey and it's been really a, a slow journey because we didn't have the molecular tools we have now. It was really around suck it and seeing and as identifying, checking and replacing. So it's been slow, but in doing so, we've also learned a lot more about seedling growth and understood a bit more about the genetic architecture that sits under coleoptile length. And so it's not just the dwarfing genes, but other genes associated with early growth the coleoptile is quite interesting, Megan. It's, um, it's actually a modified first leaf. And so anything that impacts on the size of the coleoptile is also likely to impact on leaf size. And so in approaching a research question around increasing coleoptile length for deep sowing, we've also understood a bit more the capacity to build early vigour, early biomass, 
and that's been important for improving wheat competitiveness and would you believe improving root growth. So I find science is amazing. You go in with one question, but you answer a lot of other questions or you learn about, about what you don't know. And so it's been a fascinating journey for 30 years and building greater knowledge around what it is that might be limiting early growth but in doing so, understanding how we can work together to build better knowledge and build better systems to improve early growth with changing climates. So you've changed the dwarfing gene and just by doing that, it increased the length by an average of 33 millimetres, I understand. And these just genetics were tested in a paddock scale experiment in 2020 in Western Australia. Tell me a bit about that, walking through what it was aiming to achieve and, and the yield and water productivity impact out of that trial. We've been undertaking uh, small plot studies. These are research studies where we have limited area. And so we were able to then confirm that some of the lines we had coming through our program had the long coleoptile while reducing plant height because of the new dwarfing gene. And uh, those details were being discussed and reported at grower updates in the rural media and at field days. And a very passionate young grower, Callum Wesley, contacted me 20th of April 2020 during the onset of COVID, just indicating he was extremely interested in some of this science and wanted to just test it on farm on his own property. Callum was really intrigued by the coleoptile link this year because he too had been noticing that he'd been receiving good summer rain at his property on the eastern edge of the West Australian wheat belt, a place called Southern Cross. But when it came to sow in uh, early to mid-April, the moisture was often too deep for him to access. And so he was dry sowing. And with dry sowing came that concern around late sowing breaks and late rains needed for germination and seedling growth. So he was aware of some old varieties, historic varieties that could be sown very deep but weren't available anymore, also had low yields. And so he was keen to just, I guess, um, pub test on his own farm at a larger paddock scale the potential of some of these new genetics. And uh, Callum's a very passionate man who won't say no. <laughs> um, I tried to delay, I guess, um, the assessment of this material on his farm because of COVID. And we didn't really have quality seed. The seed we had was old, but Callum was persistent. And I was able to find enough seed of some of this material, these long coleoptile wheats, that we could then send to Callum and in working in with Qantas and with colleagues at Dafwa, we were able to get that seed to Callum very, very quickly in time to sow on his farm. Now, going from plot scale to paddock scale is quite challenging, particularly with the amount of seed we have. Often to sow paddock scale, you need hundreds of kilos of seed. We only had 10 kilos of seed of each of these lines. So Callum, with his uncle, was able to modify their planter, and that included modifying the seed hopper, and the size of the seed hopper to accommodate small seed samples, but also modify his planter so that he could restrict the width of his sowing planter so that he could accommodate the smaller seed lots. And so the trial was planted. We got in a little bit late because of, you now we preferred to have got in a little earlier, but we got in a bit late. But notwithstanding, long coleoptile wheats were deep sown into moisture, I think around 12 centimetres, up to 15 centimetres in places. And Callum called me up soon after planting, very excited that the shallow sown wheats had not germinated because there was no moisture, but the deep sown wheats with long coleoptiles had germinated really, really well. 
and were growing very rapidly and using moisture. And the value for that for Callum was it allowed him to focus on calendar date sowing so he could sow his wheat into deep moisture while focusing on other crops and other varieties around his farm. It also meant that Callum could take advantage of the season, take advantage of his herbicides, his pre-emergent herbicides to manage his herbicides, his nutrition, and those together, along with the fact by sowing early, you build your biomass more rapidly and you also provide a canopy which outcompetes weeds. And really importantly, you initiate root growth much earlier. So roots grow 1.1 centimetres per day from germination to flowering. And if you've got deep moisture, which Callum does, you can actually access that moisture later into the season when moisture is critical around flowering and post-flowering because you've got an extra 20, 25 centimetres of root growth, which you wouldn't have if you germinated later. So all those things together increase Callum's water productivity by around 25%, which is remarkable in what was a decile one year. It was one of the driest years on record, and yet he got 1.3 tonnes, whereas the sandwich varieties were producing about half that, all because he sowed early, he emerged early, and he could make use of that deep moisture. That's an incredible trial, and what a persistent grower. You talk about modifying the seed hopper, the planter. It was a trial within a trial, effectively. Those results are obviously incredibly heartening. Tell me about the next steps. What came next? It broadened out, didn't it? It did. Uh, just the other thing, Megan, too, around 60% of the costs of the crop come with sowing and the concerns with growers around sowing, around sowing failure are incredibly powerful, both emotionally and financially. And so ensuring good establishment is really key for us and key for production. And I think what Callum really highlighted to us was that not only was there a surety for him and yield for him, but also it highlighted to us another opportunity around making use of that moisture. So the work was reported and we had a strong advocate in Callum, but also he had a number of growers that came and visited his farm and also agronomists, some really amazing agronomists, Ty Henning and others. And they were promoting on Twitter, social media and elsewhere the success of this work. And GRDC saw the opportunity here and saw the need for sort of growing this technology. The breeders had also been working with CSIRO and they had this germplasm. So it was an opportunity for the breeders to see the importance of this technology and they jumped on it big time. So we had the breeders doing the, the breeding work with the new dwarfing genes and building long coleoptiles. We had the growers excited and the GRDC said, well, let's try and extend the range of experiments to other places throughout the Australian wheat belt. And so GRDC supported a project on validating Callum's work in WA with Mike Lamond and SLR Agriculture and also in Queensland with uh, Darren Aidsthorpe and DAF. And both those two organisations got GRDC support to grow deep sowing trials in WA and Queensland. And the value of that work was understanding how strong what Callum was seeing was being carried through in other soil types, in other farming systems and in other climates. But also with the challenges that tend to vary across the farming systems across Australia. So what we learned there was that the long coleoptile trait was powerful in the sandier soils, the non-wetting soils of WA, 
but also into the heavier textured soils into Queensland and the warmer soils in Queensland. Andrew Ware at EPAG and then working with colleagues here in Southern New South Wales, Barry Haskins with Ag Research and other colleagues within CSIRO and also COGO too in WA. We were able to demonstrate that the long collateral trait was very, very powerful for establishment. That's just with deep sowing around water productivity. But we also been sampling the different environments and talking to the grower groups and growers that came to visit the field sites understood that there were other pressing issues with establishment that was limiting, I guess, the successful establishment in Australian wheat. Non-wetting soils, ameliorated soils, issues with disease, herbicide-resistant weeds were all other factors which we hadn't considered in focusing on water productivity and germinating on calendar date. And so what colleagues, uh, Mike Lamond and his team and others had identified was that there was other capacity for long coleoptiles to try and help around fairly long-standing issues in establishment. And a good example is the non-wetting soils where we know for various reasons, largely chemical or waxes in the soil, that often wheat is sown, but the moisture below the seed surface is very, very dry, but there's moisture at depth. And what Mike Lamont was able to show was that by sowing deeper into these non-wetting soils where there was moisture, we could assure germination and early growth. Ameliorated soils are often dry at sowing, with dry sowing, risk to environmental blows and loss of soil. But by sowing deep into moisture, ensured that we had ground cover while waiting for rain for what would be traditionally sowing in the top surface. The other really cool feature of this work was Michael was able to sow into some fairly rhizoctonia affected soils. So this is a soil pathogen that infects the seminal roots and it's quite patchy in the field. It's very challenging to control genetically. And what Mike showed was that in soils that were affected by rhizoctonias, that deep sowing wheats that were sown deep were less affected by rhizoctonia. And we're still trying to understand what the basis for that is. Is it simply because the seed and the, the seminal roots are growing well below the inoculum level for the rhizoctonia? Or is it simply that by sowing deep, we're disrupting the soil more, which is disrupting the capacity for the rhizoctonia to infect the roots. So we're still learning about that, but it's quite exciting. And the value of these large-scale national trials is just giving us a little more information and I guess a little more opportunity to where deep sowing may be of value. What were some of the yield key findings um, around that 2021 trial also? We want to try and de-risk the myth of deep sowing all the time. In very dry years or years where we've got moisture, absolutely deep sowing is the way to go. But ideally, we want to sow shallow. And the reason is because by sowing shallow, we guarantee that we will get emergence and will emerge very quickly. Deep sowing does come with it, the potential risk of not having moisture at depth and or just delayed emergence. So if conditions are ideal and we have moisture in the top, five, six centimetres, then so shallow all the time. And we're trying to understand better now what is the risk with deep sowing and how we can manage that using soil moisture models to let growers know that it's dry in the topsoil, but also very dry at depth. And so there may be no other option but to sow shallow. But with those models, we'll be able to tell growers, no, it is dry at the soil, but you do have moisture at depth. And so it's worth deep sowing. So there's a little bit of clarity around the opportunity for deep sowing. And 
and where the need arises for it. That the yield trials showed, in fact, where there was not good soil moisture in the surface, deep sowing did actually, and there was moisture at depth, deep sowing was associated with increased grain yield. So the results from Callum's study were translated very nicely elsewhere in those environments where there wasn't moisture in the top surface and that delayed rainfall, delayed emergence and germination in the shallow forcing they're showing to reduce grain yield. So very much consistent with what we'd seen in research plots and then extended to Callum's paddock scar trials, but then more widely into other parts of the wheat belt. Any of the the outcomes from that 2021 trial that surprised you that you weren't expecting? Oh, there's always surprises, isn't there? I mean, the non-wetting soils one, the disease one, both of those were surprises. I guess the uptake and the interest by growers, I wasn't aware that there was such overwhelming interest in this technology. I remember when I first started at CSIRO in 1995, I'd go to field days and I'd be talking about some of our work and, and growers would tell me that... Uh, this is before I even worked on Coleopdolink, but they talk about the issues with current dwarf wheats and how before the dwarf wheats in Australia, it was harvest that concerned growers. But now with the dwarf wheats, it was sowing. And so a change in the plant type led to it uncertainty and concerns from growers. And the other comment I remember from a grower was that these current wheats couldn't push the skin of a rice pudding. <laughs> so it was actually the growers that, for me, I mean, the growers are what gets me out of bed. It's the growers who excite me. And it's the growers who give me the ideas that I then myself and colleagues work on. So having that excitement and the interest from the growers was a surprise. It was wonderful to see them and, and also wonderful for the growers to perhaps give us understanding as to how they would use them in their farming systems and what the value of the new technologies were to them. Those were the surprises. Absolutely. On that note, what are some of the most common questions you're fielding from growers in regards to the outcomes of this research? When's the technology going to be available in commercial wheat varieties? And the breeders are working very hard and are very close to having new commercial wheats with improved yield and quality. Questions around how they modify their planters. How do growers manage nutrition because you're sowing the seed much deeper, particularly phosphorus. How can we ensure that we're not going to limit the growth of seedlings because the phosphorus is unavailable? How can these new wheats be used to attain greater benefit with pre-emergent herbicides? And we know pre-emergent herbicides reduce coleoptile length. And by sowing deeper, are we able to avoid the potential damage with pre-emergent herbicides? Questions around soil amelioration and ground cover. And the other one, I guess, too, is how important is seed quality? So if you're challenging seed by planting it much, much deeper than what it's traditionally bred for, how should we manage our seed and how should we grade and store our seed to ensure that that poor little seed has every opportunity to grow and emerge from being sown halfway to China? In a new technology like this, it's often the failures which limit the uptake. And so in new varieties coming through the breeding programs, having these questions have really given us the thinking around what else needs to be done to de-risk the uptake and adoption of these new technologies. As far as our own programs are concerned, what's in the ground for 2022 and what are your key messages for growers? Key messages very much, again, just be very careful when deep sowing. There's some longer coleoptile wheats out there, but they're not as long as the syro ones. Be careful when you read the seed bag as to how deep you can sow. 
But in parts of the wheat belt, yeah, absolutely be mindful of the need for deep sowing or if it's just too dry, uh, even at depth, then shallow sowing. So that's one key message. In parts of the wheat belt which are very, very wet, we're looking at late sowing. And so there's some stuff on Twitter there from myself and others just talking about options with current commercial wheats with late sowing in large parts of Victoria and New South Wales. And so having options for late sowing is on the minds of many growers at the moment. So they're probably my key messages. I guess my other key message is that just continue supporting applied and basic research as you have been. And you've got some really enthused and engaged researchers, not just in CSIRO, but elsewhere, who are really keen to understand and deliver to the needs of growers. And I guess the more we can continue talking, the more we can do to help better understand what the needs are and try and help growers be resilient, but also be profitable. The grain industry is very lucky to have you on their side, Greg. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate the update and look forward to seeing what comes next. Oh, wonderful, Megan. Thank you. And thank you, the growers. Such an inspiring community to work with. Thank you. That was Dr. Greg Rubetsky from CSIRO, who has been part of the research team brooding long coleoptile wheat to help grain growers manage variable soil water at sowing. This is a GRDC podcast. I'm Megan Woodward. Thanks for listening. Listener.